Hello, and welcome to the Doxology Podcast. My name is Jens Nelson. And my name is Lucas Stock. This is a podcast dedicated to journeying together on the road that is the Christian faith. Join us as we discuss and investigate theology and the Christian life, striving for unity amongst our diversity as members of Christ's church. So, today we're continuing on with our series affectionately known as Joan-uary, um, Jonah-January, whatever you want to call it. For, for the month of January, we are going through uh, the book of Jonah. And it just so happens that January has four weeks and Jonah has four chapters. So it works out really well. Uh, we, the, the Baptists in us like the alliteration, I guess, maybe. Um, but we're, we're continuing on with, with chapter two. Uh, and this really is, is highlighting Jonah's prayer. Uh, so as we as we saw at the conclusion of of last week's episode, uh, Jonah is uh, in, in in verse seventeen. It said the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. Now, as all of you know, uh, the the chapter and verses uh, are all divinely inspired. Um, where uh, I, I joke, I kid. Uh, it, it seems as though maybe verse seventeen could have been a part of chapter two. I don't know. It was up to them to decide, and that's how they decided. So it's the tradition that we use. But uh, we, we, as we enter into chapter two now, uh, we're we're really focusing in on the prayer of Jonah as he's within the belly of this fish. Uh, so Lucas, what uh, what's jumping out at you? What what have you taken note of? Um, what are some key points that you want to point out here in Jonah's prayer? Yeah, this has always been for me. I feel like it's kind of an odd one, like a misfit amongst its other three fellow chapters of Jonah. Um, In terms of the way that we divide up the book, this, like the whole chapter is just this prayer. There's not really any narrative. I mean, we hear that Jonah prayed and then we read the prayer and then we hear that um, the fish throws Jonah onto the land. But other, there's not any, you know, compared to the other three, which are like all narrative and dialogue, we don't really see that structurally, just in terms of the content. We, we basically just see Jonah's prayer without even hearing God's response, like we do in other uh, sections of this book where they're kind of going back and forth with each, with each other. So it, it kind of feels distinct in that way. And then also, because it's a prayer, it's a little more, and, and I'm, I'm using this term kind of loosely like I don't know if this is like technically correct to say but like it's a little more poetic as opposed to just straight telling you know the history of what happened on the boat or what happened in Nineveh or whatever and it's you know again maybe this isn't the best word to use but it's a little more abstract because it's Jonah I think just kind of expressing not that he's expressing things that aren't real or that aren't actually relevant to his real life and situation or our real life and situation. But it's a little bit more abstract of a prayer than, you know, the fishermen are scared and they cast lots like that. It's it just, it's a little more concrete narrative, the rest of the book. And I think that part of that, you know, distinction also really links chapter two in my mind with the story of Christ which we know from the mouth of Christ himself that that Jonah is a type of Christ. He points, you know, Pharisees ask him for a sign. He says, the only sign you're getting is the sign of Jonah. Um, you know, what does that mean? I'm sure there's many, many, many 
you know, tomes and tomes of, of ink has been spilled, you know, explaining that. And the, the easiest answer for me was always, uh, again, in the end of chapter one, Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. So we see this death of Jonah. And then three days later, he resurrects, you could say. He is spit back onto the land. He's out of the belly of the fish. And this is Christ, you know, prophesying, pointing ahead, pointing back to point ahead to his own death, burial, um, descent, and which I'm sure one of us will talk about in a bit, right. mm-hmm. uh, uh, and eventual ascension or, or, or resurrection more specifically, I guess. And I think that 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 is always what stuck out to me is like, this is where the connection to Jesus comes out. I know there's a connection to Jesus because Jesus tells me so. Um, this, you know, chapter two, when, you know, Jonah's eaten, he's in the belly, and then, you know, he's there praying. This is this is where that connection comes from. And I think that that's, that's there's nothing wrong with that. Um, I will say I, I, I felt as I was uh, preparing for this discussion, I, I felt like this chapter really took on a bit more depth, uh, no pun intended. Uh, I was going to say. <laughs> uh, a bit more depth to me than it has in the past, especially in comparison to the other three chapters, like I said. But, I, I, I mean, you know, we have Jonah saying that, you know, he cries out to the Lord out of the belly of Sheol. So, Jonah himself is drawing this death connection, mm. Sheol being in the in the Old Testament the place of the dead. Uh, you cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas. The flood surrounded me. You know, I'm driven away from your sight. The waters closed in over me to take my life. The deep surrounded me. Um, we we see this very clearly that Jonah is, you know, he he's using death imagery, and and then. Uh, in verse, uh, sorry, the last part of verse six in chapter two, you brought up my life from the pit, O Lord, my God. Um, so we see this death and resurrection imagery. I think this is very clearly what Jesus is pointing to as the sign of Jonah in the sense of the connection to his resur- his uh, crucifixion specifically. Hmm. But I think there's more going on here. And and this this more going on here is what really stuck out to me today as I was looking through and reading through this chapter and kind of thinking through these connections. And, and part of this might be um, we got to witness and celebrate um, six baptisms at church today, um, which I did not know ahead of time that uh, <laughs> there were going to, we didn't go last week, so I must have missed the announcement. But um, so it was a bit of a longer service than usual, but we got to, um, you know, take part in as, as the church and celebrate the, the, sacrament of baptism to six wonderful children who are grafted into um christ's catholic church triggered uh, <laughs> <laughs> um so maybe that's kind of you know maybe i'm i've got baptism on the brain which seems to happen a lot on this podcast but um especially today maybe that's um okay. but i see i see baptism all over this chapter and, and i made the like tongue-in-cheek comment before we started recording that my hot take is is that Jonah 2 is a baptismal text. And I think that that is maybe a dramatic way of putting it, but I, I definitely think that, again, I'm just, I'm rolling with the puns, I guess, today. I feel like this this text is drenched in baptismal <laughs> imagery, um, which really shouldn't be that surprising right. if we see this text as being connected to Christ's death, 
because that's what baptism is, is, you know, Romans 6, as many of us have been baptized with Christ, have been baptized into his death. We, through baptism, by faith, we participate in Christ's death, burial, descent, uh, and, and resurrection. And I think that's what we see happening here. And, you know, maybe it's so obvious that I just haven't noticed it all these years of, of knowing the story of Jonah and reading Jonah, but unsurprisingly, since he's being thrown into the ocean and then eaten by a fish, there's a lot of water, it, you know, happening here. There's a lot of water imagery. Um, obviously, just the fact that he's in the belly of a fish is very nautical. Um, but also, um, verse 3, you cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas. The flood surrounded me. Peter tells us that the flood prefigures baptism. Um, the flood being like capital F, uh, the flood of Noah. Um, all your waves and your billows passed over me. Uh, verse 5, the waters closed in over me to take my life. The deep surrounded me. Uh, weeds were wrapped around my head at the roots of the mountains. And, um, you know, I, I picture like seaweed. I mean, it just says weeds, but I'm just, I'm picturing seaweed since he's being thrown into the sea. The roots of the mountains, I'm picturing like the old, you know, ancient way of looking at the world where, you know, the mountains were literally like on the foundation and, and underneath the ocean, you know, you, you, you see the bars closed upon me. Um, yeah, you got all this water. Like for, for me, it's like, okay, what are the ingredients? We've got water, we've got death. And then we've got God taking taking that person out of death. And it's like, that's what baptism, those are the ingredients of, of baptism. You know, we've got death, you know, the old Adam being drowned in baptism. We've got, we've got the death of Christ that we participate in through baptism, through the, the, you know, the way that God has given us to do that is, involves water. We've got the flood as a, as a precursor to baptism. And, and I think that we see, um, Jonah as a precursor to Christ in his death. So of course we would see that connection to baptism as part of that typology. At least it to me, again, maybe my brain is just primed for to 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 like notice this, but to me that connection just feels like obvious. And and I don't mean that in the sense of like, you know no one can critique me <laughs> their end of conversation. You know, I, I just mean in the sense of it seems natural to notice a reference to baptism, a typological reference to baptism in connection with a typological reference to Christ's death and resurrection. Um, well, and so I, yeah. you've mentioned that a couple times, like this typological reference to Christ. And, and maybe it's because, throughout most of this story it seems like jonah's like a, a quote-unquote bad guy or at least a very <laughs> um you know misinformed just getting it wrong the whole time type of character but i can't think of another type of christ in scripture that's as messed up but yeah messed up and rebellious like obviously they all have their major sins like david Abraham, Moses, like whomever, they have their major sins, but they also have these like major moments of like victory or goodness or just noteworthiness. And and sure, Jonah does go and preach repentance, tell, tells Nineveh to repent, as we're going to see next week. But like, he's Spoiler still alert. like super angry about it. He's like, God, this is why I didn't want to go. 
because right. you're gracious, you're merciful, abounding in steadfast love. And so it's it's fascinating to me that this this prophet who seems to be so rebellious, so sinful, so so hard-hearted, um, be a type that Christ himself from his very mouth uses. You know, he doesn't say that this yeah. is the, you know, the, the sign of Abraham or the sign of right. um, Joshua or something. It's it's the, the sign of Jonah. And I think you know, that what, like, there is a sliver of hope for us yeah. as believers too, is like, we don't have to have it all together. It's, it, it's not to excuse our sin. It's not to say that it's not significant. Um, but I think there's hope. And also, when we read the Old Testament, we shouldn't see those people as heroes, as though we have salvation or anything in them. Like, they may have done great things, but we are not David, to quote Matt Chandler. Um, you know, we're, um, we're not Moses. We, we shouldn't read ourselves into those characters except to see where they're sinful, I think. And it's funny you bring that up because I was what I was about to say, or, or another thought that I had that I was going to bring up, which makes I think is even made made even clearer by remembering the what Jonah's character is presented as being is he I I, I think we also see Jonah type as a type of of us as a type of hmm. the Christian. Right. Um, not not just Christ. Yes, Christ, because uh, that's what Jesus tells us. <laughs> like um, it, it's this. Is, like I love Jonah. Be, like I love typology. Like, I think the church reading typologically is, has has always been good and right. And I, and I feel like Jonah is such a great one because you can't really argue with it. Like Jesus, Jesus <laughs> read Jonah typologically. So I feel like it's just like. It's like an easy one to point to, um, kind of like the flood and baptism. It's like when the Bible tells us <laughs> exactly what corresponds to what, it's just kind of like, it's just, it's just an, it's like easy mode. It's just like, oh yeah, this is great. And it just really helps to, um, you know, I think put those things into focus and relief when we're reading. But um, I think along with, you know, like, along with the imagery of, of Christ and his death, having the imagery of baptism and, and applying it, you know, obviously Christ got baptized as well, um, but applying it to us who are sinners, uh, unlike Christ, who is a sinless man who was baptized and died and, and raised was raised again into glory, we, along with Jonah, are sinful people who uh, have sin, die to ourselves, are raised again to new life in Christ through baptism by faith, you know, all, all that all that stuff, like, um, it, it feels like we, we can see our, I, I feel like we can, as we see a shadow of Christ's work on the cross in Jonah, I think we see a shadow of Christ's work on the cross in our own life in Jonah as well, with this baptismal imagery, with this death and newness of life. And not that Jonah's perfect, not that we're perfect, not that, um, you know, not that that's okay, but just that, that it's just true. We're not perfect before or after our salvation, before or after our baptism, before or after our new life being given to us by the Spirit. It's still the case that we, we're in the already not yet. We still sin, and, and we obviously see Jonah continuing to sin and continuing to live, um, to, to, you know, in, in that way that, 
you know, it's already kind of familiar after the first couple verses of the book. But I just think it's, I I, I totally agree, like, um, that, you know, looking at that and, and feeling a sense of hope as we can identify with that. And then also just recognizing the way that this points forward to ourselves as well as pointing forward to Christ because it is Christ's death that we are, uh, that we participate in, hmm. not just any old death. You know, it's not our own death that that we are baptized into. It's 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 his death that we're baptized into. So I, I, I think that it's just really cool to see the those connections drawn here um, in a way that I, I've, de- I've definitely never seen this before in previous, you know, times that I've read the book. Um, and especially this chapter. It's just this has always been the most elusive chapter for me. Um, and, and it's yeah. almost like I, I skip from Jonah prayed to the Lord to, and the Lord spoke to the fish. I'm just like, okay, all the whole content of the chapter, I'm just like, Jonah prays. <laughs> right. And it's like, sure, I guess, you know, for the story maybe, but like, there's a reason this prayer is, has been recorded and passed down. It's not superfluous to to what the what the book is doing so i think it's it's just cool to kind of like i said get get this more fleshed out appreciation for this part of the book than i typically have when i when i read through it Hmm. well you know we've mentioned in the past that i was a youth pastor and the last two weeks in, in in discussing jonah and as i'm sure going forward with chapters three and four will be also true um, I, I've I've really enjoyed like approaching this almost as I approached um, preparing for messages and sermons and lessons, um, just like finding like you're saying finding those things that are not necessarily readily apparent as you're just reading it at face value, and so this is going to be an example of that. Um, but with with the end of verse 16, so of, of of verse or sorry of chapter one verse 16, if you were reading this for the first time, if you were or if you were an Israelite hearing this read for the first time you have to imagine like p- picture any movie you've ever seen as as a narrative unfolds as as things begin to happen as you think about like past experiences that you're aware of like f- picture any sort of movie where there's been like an awful you know storm on the sea i can't think of a movie that's had that but just i'm sure you can picture in your mind this awful storm these men in not a big titanic-esque ship but probably some sort of just like wooden ship maybe with some sails we're not you know nothing super technologically savvy i'm sure for its day it was but um, being overtaken by the waves throwing over cargo rowing hard to try to get back to land and it the only thing left to do is as jonah says throw me overboard and so they do okay again your only thought process is probably like, what have I seen happen to people who have been thrown overboard before? They're going to die. So Jonah probably thinks he's going to die. The people in the story, prob- like the sailors, think he's going to die. Like, what else are we left to expect? And so if you're reading this for the first time, you're probably like, man, that is kind of a bummer. Especially if you're an Israelite, because the prophet has been thrown overboard and he's going to die. But it's almost as if in verse 7, God's like, but... It- Obviously, this story isn't over yet. The, the Lord appointed a great fish. So here we see God's sovereignty, his creative power and control over nature, appointing what a lot of people say is a whale, but you know, some sort of large fish to come and swallow a man. 
that's pretty crazy. So like Jonah, Jonah swallowed, and not only that, like it is a, in a sense, it is crazy and it is a miracle that Jonah is swallowed by a fish. But people get eaten by sharks all the time, okay? But the miracle of this story is that he was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights and continued to live. Like that's the miracle that like in God's power and divine providence that you know Jonah wasn't I don't know what the belly of a whale or a big fish looks like but he wasn't you know digested with belly acid and he wasn't you know he, he by by all accounts that we know of within this book I guess you know Jonah lived a relatively normal life this day forward well here's a question I don't yeah. mean to derail what you're saying no. but did Jonah die because he yeah you know I'm typically of the persuasion that he's alive um i I don't know a lot of the ins and outs of people who would say you know if people do say why they would say that he was dead versus he was alive but he does say you know out of the belly of sheol i cried you know like it's very past tense of him you know being you know descending to the deep and and essentially like imagery of death whether that means like like you're saying obviously there's a horrible storm. He gets thrown overboard into the deep. Like the, the death is is guaranteed in that scenario, and then God saves him by you know out of the you know out of the jaws of death he gets snatched into the the fish or whatever. I mean, I think that's perfectly legitimate. There's no reason to not read it that way. But it's just it's just interesting. Like it's very he wasn't going down to Sheol, you know. He cried to God from Sheol. You know, it's kind of like, I don't know if I'm reading too much into that so much as just like, to, you know, how deep does that foreshadowing of Christ go? Hmm, you know, does right. it go so far as to he was literally dead? You know, and whether that means he was he was digested and then miraculously <laughs> vomited <laughs> forth. Maybe. I, I don't know. I, I, I don't mean, know. I, who, who well, knows? It, could, <laughs> it could be that, like, you know, in using very poetic language, you know, obviously Joda could have said, it was as though I had died, it is as though as I was descending to the depths or whatever. But in using very poetic and strong language, and again, by all normal conventions of thinking about being thrown overboard, it might as well have been the fact that he died. Yeah. For all intents and purposes, Jonah did die. He was thro- thrown into the deep of, you know, I don't know... Uh, maybe the Mediterranean or wherever they're, whatever sea they're on. He's, he's likely, it's not like just a cup. It's not like the lazy river. Okay. He's not just like <laughs> floating along chilling. Like we're talking about the deep, deep depths, like the depths that people are like so afraid of, like you don't want to ever know what's down there type of depths. And then he's, you know, swallowed by this great fish. And as we know, obviously this isn't the end of Jonah's story. Um, it's, it, it didn't stop at the end of chapter one. Um, but Jonah's deliverance, not necessarily his death, is the Lord's goal. Um, it's not that he wanted to kill Jonah and then it was done. So Jonah knew you have to throw me overboard, but it wasn't for the sake of killing Jonah. That was not the purpose in doing that. He wanted to call him back to himself and especially back to the mission that he had given to him. And what I think is kind of fun to contemplate, there is the mission for Jonah to go preach repentance, right? That's, that's what God has called him to go do. But there's a mission within a mission. Like God is accomplishing a mission in Jonah through the mission that Jonah is to go do. Like were it not for the call to go preach repentance to Nineveh, Jonah maybe would not have gone through the transformation that he went through, if that makes sense. So 
God says, go preach repentance to these people. And that, that, that could just be the surface of what's going on. Purely, Jonah is just going to go preach repentance. But obviously, as we know, by going through this book more in depth, to use another pun, um, <laughs> you know, we see that a greater thing is happening than just that Nineveh is going to repent. Jonah himself repents. His heart is changed, at least partially. And, you know, in week four, uh, in week four of this series, I, I actually am going to read part of Tim Keller's book, um, Rediscovering Jonah, because, you know, if you've read this before, you know that this sort of ends kind of abruptly. We don't really know what happens to Jonah, if he has a, a true change of heart or if he remains hard-hearted. Uh, but, but Tim Keller has at least, he, you know, all we can do is speculate, but I think it's a really wise and likely speculation. So we'll, we'll read that when it comes. Um, but, you know, to, to sort of shift gears to some of the other things that I found really interesting, and, and we've already alluded to it a couple times, but this book points out over and over the theme of descending. First, we see Jonah go down to Joppa. We see him go down to a ship. And then we see him go down into the depths of that ship. And now in chapter 2, we see him going down into the depths of the sea, even down to Sheol, or the pit. So we see this continual descent, 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 descent. And a big part of that, as Lucas has already said, is related to baptism. And I also think it's just related to his descent into recognizing his need for reconciliation, his true need for grace. Um, as, as anybody, you know, I think sometimes when we think about the word testimonies, when we think about people sharing their faith and what's happened in their lives, um, sometimes we think that we don't have very interesting testimonies because we weren't drug addicts, we weren't murderers, we weren't these like hardened we weren't criminals. swallowed by great fishes. Right, exactly. No great fishes have swallowed me personally. Um, so we, maybe we don't think we have a very interesting story to tell. Um, and I think maybe that's true for some people. I think any story of, of God bringing someone to new life is a pretty miraculous and incredible thing. Um, but for Jonah here, so, so, I guess what I'm trying to say is for those people who did have those um, testimonies of, of great difficulty in life, maybe they overcame poverty and drug addiction and going to jail or whatever. Um, this is Jonah's version of that in a sense. Everything he's doing is a further descent into like further rebellion, further sin, getting further and further away from the presence of the Lord. Uh, because for any good Israelite who who would have been living um, in Israel or in Jerusalem, um, Jonah likely lived in Jerusalem, I'm guessing, or maybe whatever the capital of um, Jeroboam II, wherever he was reigning from since he was a prophet under that king. Uh, but the presence of the Lord dwelt in the temple. And obviously it dwelt across the whole earth and this, the cosmos too. Um, but to, to ascend to the hilltop where the temple was, it was, this, it was an ascent towards worship, towards the presence of Yahweh. And so to leave that, and, and no matter which way you went, was a descent. But to continually go further and further and further, and as we saw last week, even to the ends of the earth, I mean, going towards Tarshish, whether it was a real place or not, the point was he's going as far as we knew in the known world back then away from the presence of the temple of Yahweh. And it's fascinating that two times in his prayer, Jonah mentions the temple. He mentions, um, let's see, in verse four, yet I will look once more towards your holy temple. And then 
in verse 7, As my life was fading away, I remembered the Lord, and my prayer came to you, to your holy temple. So it's this beginning again, I think, towards ascent, as we've already said, kind of typologically um, showing Christ's death, burial, descent, and then his ascension um, in a similar way. we're, We're seeing that here with Jonah too. We're seeing bits and pieces of his repentance, bits and pieces of him beginning to recognize his own waywardness, his own rebellion, uh, the ways in which that he's disobeyed Yahweh, uh, because he recognizes that he's lost. He's condemned. He's unable to unlock the doors of his fish prison. Like, I don't, I'm trying to picture like what it would have looked like to have been in the belly of this fish. Like, did he try to get out? Like, do you think he was trying to tear through the wall of the stomach? Was he trying to punch and kick Man, and, you know, we, even imagine. <laughs> it's, it's just like, I, I'm trying to like, sometimes I think these stories become so grand, um, you know, whether this happened or not, I know that that's up to, up to debate for some people. Um, but if this was a true historical account of what happened to Jonah, um, what would it have been like to be thrown overboard into the depths of a storm? And again, you're thinking that you're going to die. And you're swallowed by a fish. And then it's like, <laughs> surely now I'm going to die. No one's pulling me out of this. You're fighting. You're kicking. He probably did at least lose un- or lose consciousness because there's no oxygen, I'm guessing. <laughs> just all of this is just so miraculous, okay? So, yet, despite all that we just said, yet God saves him. God redeems him, brings him up from the pit. Jonah begins to praise God. Um, dedicate himself uh, and also also he repents and begins to dedicate himself before he has any assurance that he will even escape the fish because just like he had no idea that a fish was going to swallow him in the first place and that the the fish was going to be his ark in the same way he doesn't have a promise that we see that the ark is going to let him go so you just have to imagine that in jonah's mind this is the end and as the end yeah. is approaching, let me cry out to Yahweh for deliverance. Like, Lord, these are my this, these might be my last couple of breaths, and I'm going to use them to praise you. And it's, again, interesting. He does not know necessarily that he's getting out of this, yet he right. says, I will again see your holy temple. I will praise you. I will, um, uh, maybe it's further down. Let me see. Um, I will sacrifice to you with a voice of thanksgiving. I will fulfill what I have vowed. Salvation belongs to the Lord. So it's it's this it's this beautiful picture of 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 repentance of uh, redemption reconciliation, um, yeah, and even even hope, like hope in the future resurrection, right? Not not meaning the you know resurrection from the fish, but the resurrection where of of the dead. You know he he doesn't. You're right. He doesn't know he's going to get vomited up. He doesn't know he's still going to be able to go to Nineveh. But, but he knows that he, you know, in his repentance, because salvation belongs to the Lord, he will see his holy temple again. He will be able to fulfill his vows in that future, you know, whether for him, he doesn't know what that means yet or where that means necessarily or what it looks like. But um, that also is something we share, uh, you know, abundantly, or at least we ought to share with Jonah is that, that foundational sort of hope in what is coming what our future resurrection into the holy temple will look like um and and not even what it will look like just like that you know 
that's a given for Jonah, even though physically surviving the belly of the fish isn't a given. It doesn't need to be a given for, for that hope that he has when he returns to the right worship of Yahweh, not descending and running away from Yahweh's presence. Yeah. Yeah, that's good. And I don't know, as we maybe begin to descend out of this episode, so to speak, um, (laughs) uh, I I found verse 8 really interesting. I don't know about you, but in verse 8, he says, those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love. And it's almost as though this is a little ray of still not understanding, even within the repentance and I think somewhat of the redemption of Jonah Um, Because he rightly says that idolatry blocks people from receiving grace. In a sense, the the worship of of vain idols, those who cherish worthless idols, are abandoning any hope that they might have for love and relationship with Yahweh. But also, what people is he referring to? Is he only referring to pagans? Is he only referring to those who worship like literal statues and idols? Um... Because while it's true that those people forsake their, you know, ability to have faithful love, um, we can't also it's it, we can't help but read it in light of Jonah's relapse into anger and confusion later. So when Jonah has the anger, uh, the frustration at God's mercy to the Ninevites, um, it's actually revealing an idol within his heart. So it's not just the idols and the stones and the blocks of wood that are physical. Um, you know, in, in other words, despite his breakthrough here, Jonah has still not fully grasped the grace as deeply, but um, as we might at first think he has, there is still a sense of superiority. There's still a sense of self-righteousness. Uh, he sees the literal idols of the pagans, um, but he doesn't see the more subtle idols in his own life that keep him from fully grasping that he too just like all the pagans, lives only and equally by God's grace. So, as we've said, this is a typological story of Christ. It's also typological of us as, as men, uh, as women living in the world, because this is a great example um, of how the merciful God patiently works with us, as flawed and as clueless and as helpless as we are. Uh, because as we live in this world, and maybe this week, all you need to know is that January 6th, 2021 happened um, a few days ago. Look that up on the internet and you'll find what we're referring to. Uh, to know that idols dwell within the hearts of all of us. Whether it be nationalism, whether it be pride, whether it be um, h- hatred for neighbor, whatever it might be. Um, even those that profess the name of Christ, even those who are who are called by his name, who who are seeking to live honorable and um, Christian lives, we still have those dark hidden crevices where sin continues to dwell. And this story, at least for me, at least for me, this story is of great hope because Jonah, the prophet to the Lord, who went through all these miraculous things, who who endured um, the storm and the fish, uh, even though he's repented, he still has these, these dark holes within his heart that, first of all, need to be revealed and then healed as well. And so I, I love 
that this story shows how merciful God is, how patient he is with Jonah as Jonah continually doesn't understand. Um, I mean, the reality is that Jonah's own pride should have humbled him. Um, I guess, but the simple fact that he received, I guess he received what he didn't deserve, right? He, he, he he received the fish. (laughs) He got, he got the fish to save him from the depths of the sea. And then he got being vomited on dry land um, to save him from the fish. So he received mercy instead of judgment, deliverance instead of death. Um, so this should have really changed Jonah profoundly. Uh, because as we know from Romans, you know, our sin and rebellion earned death. Or just from the, all of the Bible, I guess. But um, what, God, <laughs> what God makes available to us in Jesus is, is life. This undeserved gift of his mercy, his grace. Um, and so this ought to destroy any spiritual pride that we might have left. And obviously on this side of glory, there's always going to be that sense of pride that still dwells within our hearts. But um, as, as believers, we ought to be seeking to eradicate that as much as possible from our hearts. And so we should not, we should not view life as us versus them in any sense, whether it be political, nationally, or even like sports teams. I mean, people get so bent out of shape about sports. Like I know they're fun and they're entertaining, but it's, it's a game. Um, we, we, we like to divide. We like to create boxes of Baptist versus Anglican or Republican versus Democrat, whatever it might be. And oftentimes those things can begin to put blinders to the fact that like on the other side, those people that you're calling them. So for Jonah, it was the Ninevites. The Ninevites were the other group whom he whom he despised, whom he did not want to go preach repentance to. And all throughout this story, we're seeing time and time again, God is revealing the wickedness of Jonah's heart in this matter of having hatred towards other people. And so as Christians, we ought to recognize this story and see it as as a warning. Not that you're going to get swallowed by a fish, Lucas, if you, if you don't repent of your pride, but uh, worse could well. come upon you. I mean... <laughs> Yeah, no, who knows? But I don't know. Do you, do you have any other closing thoughts before we really start to wind down? No, I don't think so. It's interesting. I don't want to spend too much time on this. I, I totally agree with everything you said about verse 8. The Those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love. I read it a totally different way. Where I read it as him referring to himself. Almost like he does understand, at this point at least, the the idolatry of his heart that had led him to respond in the way he did. Um, And the, the, you know, my initial thought was the reason for that is his prayer is all about his going down to the depths and then being raised to life. And, and it, it, it's, it's very Jonah centered. Hmm. And I don't mean that in like an arrogant or prideful way, but in the sense of it's, it's, he's, he's not necessarily, he doesn't seem to be praying about other people. You know, he, he's, he's, it seems to me like he's praying about and reflecting on his own circumstance, which, you know, I would also be doing if I had just been thrown off a boat into the belly of a whale for three days or a fish. <laughs> but, right. um, but when you said that, I, I was rereading as I was listening, and it is interesting, like, everything else is I, 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 you know. My life was fanning away. I remembered the Lord, and my prayer came to you in your holy temple. Those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love. But 
I, with the voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you. So I was thinking in my mind, it's like, he's saying, I'm going to remember the Lord, you know, because those who uh, pay regard to idols have no hope, I will, uh, uh, I will uh, sacrifice to you, sorry. But it's interesting how he, it's not really, at least in English, in the ESV, the one I have in front of me, like the way it's written is, is, is it's a little more like Pharisee, publican, you know, thank you, Lord, that I'm not like this man kind exactly. of thing. Where it, it maybe it's, you, you, I guess I should say it, it's a little ambiguous. Like we can choose to read it like, I'm going to remember the Lord. Those who sacrifice to idols have no hope. But I will, you know, like kind of like he's reminding himself, like either reflecting on his own idolatry or just reminding himself of the truth that idolatry is, um, you know, abandoning hope in in God's steadfast love. But the way it is written where it's like, my prayer came to you in your holy temple, period. Those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love, period. But I, with the, it's like he's separating himself from those who pay regard to idols, which whether he's doing that in a, in a more innocent way or in a more judgmental way towards the Ninevites or the sailors or whoever else, um, it, it's a true statement, however we want to interpret it. It is true, right. you know, whether Jonah's heart at this moment sitting in the whale praying, whether his heart is recognizing its own idolatry that that he falls into later, previously, that we all do in d- different times in different ways, um, or whether he's expressing this in a more judgmental way, sort of trying to elevate himself over against pagans who who pay regard to vain idols like it's still a true statement that those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love um and therefore i will sacrifice to you god instead of the vain idols but it is interesting the way that it it i guess it's kind of ambiguous you know obviously Mm -hmm. the rest of the book would suggest you know he has a track record and will continue to have a track record of trying to separate himself over and above and against others um, who, who, who are lost and in sin. And it's not to diminish or minimize that sin. You know, he's preaching judgment and repentance to Nineveh. He's not saying, he's not upset because God is asking him to go say hi to the Ninevites. You know, like he's, the, the Ninevites need repentance. They, they are facing judgment from God. Like that's not to diminish that, but the, but the fact is, Jonah will continue to kind of separate himself from them, rather than seeing them as seeing himself as a messenger. You know, he's on the same he's in the same boat but, um. <laughs> of uh, of, the, all, of of both the sailors and the Ninevites in the sense of being a hopeless sinner before the face of God, who is by God's mercy and grace, you know, rescued and given relationship with him instead of given the judgment for their sins that that you know that they deserve so it it, yeah i don't know it's interesting how we can kind of read that verse of the prayer both ways and i think both ways fit because he does seem like jonah 2 does feel like a turning point it's a turning Mm -hmm. point that isn't necessarily um fully lived out or manifested in the rest of the story but it does feel like it reads like a turning point following chapter one so it's interesting he only turned 178 degrees. Right. He, he right. didn't yeah, quite true. turn 180. He's not quite all the way there yet. He didn't really repent. He almost <laughs> repented. It was halfway. 
<laughs> no, but it's, I like what you said. And, and what I think Jonah fails to see is he fails to see himself collectively as a part of humanity. And maybe part of this was because the Israelites were this chosen people that God set apart. Um, but that's not to say that they were any more worthy or deserving of God's grace than anybody else, as Paul says in Romans or yeah. all throughout the New Testament. Um, and I think that's a, that's a big message that the New Testament tries to drive home. And I mean, unless you have any other thoughts, I'll, I'll sort of wrap up with, with my concluding thoughts here. Um, but to, to maybe, maybe this is the whole point of Jonah itself. Maybe it's just the whole point of chapter two. Um, but first, it was the Ninevites. Then it was the storm. Then it was the fish. Um, but really, time and time again, we've seen that Jonah's greatest problem is not outside of himself. So even if Jonah thought the Ninevites were the greatest threat, um, then it was the storm threatening his life, and then it was the deep and the fish. Um, it, truly, the greatest problem wasn't outside of him, but within him. Jonah's greatest problem and our personal greatest problems is the sin that dwells within us. And that's not to minimize the seriousness of the problems that surrounded Jonah um, or that surround us today, because sickness, natural disasters, wars, these things ravage humanity, and that's not to diminish those things. But those are not the greatest threats to you. Your greatest threat is not climate change. Your greatest threat is not the Democrats. Your greatest threat is not um, impending World War III or whatever you think it might be. Your greatest threat is the sin that dwells within you because it is so deceptive um, and so nefarious. Um, our, our, our wicked, rebellious hearts are what cause so much damage in the world. And creation itself um, is affected by the, the damage that we cause. And so as, as New Testament believers specifically, we know that it's not what goes into us that defiles us, but that which comes from the heart. Murder, adultery, lying, hatred, envy, strife, whatever it might be, the list that Jesus will give over and over again in, in the Gospels. Um, these come from within, not from without. And I think the more that we recognize that, the more that we begin to realize the wickedness that dwells within us, the more compassionate we're going to be towards those who are outside of us. Because we recognize, one, that they're going through the same things that we're going to. Just maybe not the same situations, but the same sin dwells within them. But also that we are a part of them. So these, the, where there's a wall of division, there should actually be um, a recognition that we're all in this together. We're, to say it again, we're all in the same boat. Um, so to, to have a little bit of compassion, to, to recognize the, the humanity and the humanness that we all experience in this world, I think it would go a long way in how we treat one another, how we live with and among one another. Um, and ultimately, obviously, these things are never going to be achieved this side of glory. Um, but this is what we strive towards. This is what we hope in. Um, and so I'm thankful for books like this, like, like Jonah, where we can get a glimpse, a bird's eye view. And I'm of the opinion that Jonah wrote this, being the one who experienced these things, that Jonah wrote this with his own hand. Um, I'm thankful that we can have a glimpse into not only his story and what happened to him, but into my own heart and also my own life as a believer, as I enter into Christ's death, burial, resurrection, as I one day will be with him in glory. Um, it's, it's, a, it's, it's a cool thing. Yeah. 
the, the only thing I would say my, in my concluding thoughts, a little bit different focus, but, but remember, remember your baptism. We, mm. we cry out to God out of the belly of Sheol and he hears our voice. Salvation belongs to the Lord in, in every sense of that. And it comes from the Lord. And, um, you know, we can, we can look back to and rest on the assurance that we are Christ. We have been baptized into his name. And when our life faints away, we can remember the Lord and our prayer comes to him in, into his holy temple. And we don't, we no longer need to pay regard to the vain idols that we still struggle with, that we still are tempted by, or that we, um, you know, once were slaves to, but, but no longer because we, um, have been baptized with Christ and we are raised again to new life with him. And, um, I think that among a myriad of other things, Jonah two can and should help point us back to that reality that we can trust that, that the Lord has saved us. And that's the final word. Um, not us doing anything right or wrong that, you know, can undo that in any way, shape or form. But we are, um, we have been raised to new life with Christ and we will see him face to face in glory one day. Um, and I think that is just a really, um, just, it, you know, goes hand in hand with, with what you were just saying. Um, kind of almost like the flip side of it is just to, to put that always at the forefront of our minds, I think, um, is, is really important. Um, to conclude, we, th- we thought we would just pray this prayer of Jonah. Um, we've read, you know, bits and pieces of it a few times, but we're going to just pray through it all uh, as a prayer. So if you would pray with me, I called out to the Lord out of my distress and he answered me out of the belly of Sheol. I cried and you heard my voice for you cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas and the flood surrounded me. All your waves and your billows passed over me. Then I said, I am driven away from your sight yet I shall again look upon your holy temple. The waters closed in over me to take my life. The deep surrounded me. Weeds were wrapped about my head at the roots of the mountains. I went down to the land whose bars closed upon me forever. Yet you brought up my life from the pit, O Lord, my God. When my life was fainting away, I remembered the Lord, and my prayer came to you into your holy temple. Those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love. But I, with the voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you. What I have vowed, I will pay. Salvation belongs to the Lord. Amen. Amen and amen. Amen, man. Thank you so much for tuning in and listening to this episode of the Doxology Podcast. If you'd like to connect with us, as always, you can find us on Twitter or Instagram at Doxology Podcast. Uh, you can email us at doxologypodcast at gmail.com for any feedback, questions, or future episode ideas. Sign up for our newsletter to stay informed on, on updates as well as um, updates that we'll post to social media. And until next time, we would love to hear from you and we would see you. Later. Later.